Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Lee McMillan. Lee is CEO of White Pages, a provider of online directory services, helping individuals and small businesses contact, vet, and verify people in their worlds. Before White Pages, Lee led marketing and growth at ReachNow, the U.S. Mobility Services Division at BMW Group, served as Chief Marketing Officer for Legal Marketplace Avo, and as Senior Vice President and GM of the Call Analytics Division at Marchex. Before her career scaling business growth, Lee ran communications for the Seattle Mariners in their successful campaign for a new ballpark and served as National Finance Director for U.S. Senator Maria Cantwell. Lee is a graduate of the University of Washington and is also co-owner and winemaker at Welcome Road Winery in Seattle. Welcome, Lee. Thanks, Shauna. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I've realized we didn't even have real networks in there, like such a robust, big part of your career. I loved researching you because you've worked at so many just kick-ass companies. Uh, I, I've been so, so fortunate, um, you know, and just listening to you talk about that, uh, Gosh, I've I've had like four or five different careers. Um, yeah, it's like um, so. Boy, how fortunate am I to have the experiences I've. Had. It is really cool, you know. I've had the same career for twenty six years, and there's been pluses and minuses, of course, to that. But just hearing all the different experiences that you've had, I'm sure you've learned so much from so many incredible people and just different cultures. And I want to get into it, but before we do, we're going to start with rapid fire. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> oh boy. These are specific to you, not all of them, but a couple of them are, are Lee geared. Um, okay, so the first one is, what is your favorite wine region? Oh, it's so hard. It depends upon the day, but uh, if I had to pick one, uh, Bordeaux. Bordeaux. And what was your best subject in school? Statistics. Oh, wow. That's impressive. Um, what is your spirit animal? Cat. Oh, cat. You're a cat person? So, such a cat person. I thought I loved you. And now I'm like, uh-oh, I'm not yeah. a cat person. <laughs> I just I just have to own up to it. That's okay. It's not a bad thing. Those cat people get shamed. But I know Kitty, if I had one, I'd probably get into it. Um, okay. What is the best thing that you have listened to, watched, or read this past year? Oh, gosh. You know, again, so many, but, you know, and the most recent is probably the one, you know, that's fresh in my mind. I've been watching this French show, and because we can't travel, I'm getting even more into international TV uh, called Call My Agent. Okay, I'm writing it down. I'm always looking for good shows. It's on Netflix, and it's about, you know, a talent agency and all of the stress and foibles that happen when you're dealing with celebrities. Oh, I love it. It's so funny because I've had a few friends be like, can you be my agent? Because recruiting is somewhat similar. And then I'm like, it'd be much more fun to sell, you know, just different than selling skill set. It's like selling talent on the screen. That seems really fun. Okay. I just wrote it down. Um, are you mountains or beach? 
mountains. And what three words would people use to describe you as a leader? Driven, direct, passionate, hopefully fun. Okay. So I, I realize that's four. That's right. Passionate and fun are hopefully overlapping. Those are good. Okay, final rapid fire question. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Introvert. Oh, I always love that one because I think it just came up in a recent podcast, but we were talking about like ambiverts and introverts. And I read that book, Quiet. I don't know if you've read it. I have read it. But I think it's super fascinating. As an extrovert, I thought it was important to read. Just, just understanding how introverts can sometimes um, be like underestimated or overlooked in the wrong way in like a boardroom if they're not speaking up enough. Yeah. Very interesting. And a lot of people I've had on the podcast have said, I'm an introvert, like trained to be an extrovert. <laughs> I, I think that's a fair description for me. Yeah, interesting. I can fake it. You fake it. Well, you've done a great job. Look at you, CEO running a huge company. It's awesome. So um, tell me about your childhood. You grew up here in Seattle, right? Bellevue. Yeah. You know. Well, I call that Seattle. If you're traveling abroad, you say Seattle, not like Bellevue. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Where are you from? Yeah. Seattle. Yes, I and, grew up in the burbs of Bellevue. Interesting. And you're both your parents, uh, I read, are teachers. They are. Wow. What, what, that's, that's some serious homework. Well, that's why I asked you your favorite subject in school, because I'm like, you must have been a good student, or at least it was clearly a value in your house. Yeah. So my mother uh, was, most of her teaching career was as a substitute in elementary schools. And while I never had her as a substitute, classes next door to mine did. Um, and so I experienced it a little bit. Um, my father actually was, um, started off as a shop teacher and later became a counselor at, um, it's called Echo Glen and it is a juvenile detention, live-in juvenile security. Uh, oh, wow. Um, I know it so sounds weird, but that's like not my dream job, but like another alter ego of mine. Like, I think that that would be incredibly rewarding, frustrating um, to be in that type of career. Yeah, it's, um, you know, and my, my father is a pretty funny, outgoing guy. I don't think people would characterize him as, as terribly serious um, from a personality standpoint. And so for him to have that sort of, you know, uh, for a long time, he did that his entire career, basically. Um, yeah, I were the stories at the dinner table interesting? <laughs> Yeah, some frightening, you know, he, he used it to keep my brother and I in line for sure. You know, the threat of having to go to Echo Glen, um, uh, definitely, but yeah, I, I was pretty proud of him. Yeah, I'm sure. And so how would you describe your upbringing as far as um, your understanding of kind of what mattered most to your family and their, and their values? So, yeah, it's interesting. My, my mother is, uh, uh, Scandinavian, so Norway, um, the Norwegian kind of sensibilities, and um, she was pretty serious. And my dad was actually from Appalachia in West Virginia. So like, talk about a marriage of cultures, you know, could not probably be more different. Um, and so uh, I, I kind of lean towards my father's side, I take after him. Um, the way he approaches things and not too serious most of the time and, and the like. Um, and so it was kind of, it was an interesting balance um, for my brother and I to, 
to navigate between the two of them, the father that wants to just go have fun and my mother who was kind of serious. Yeah, thing that, it could be a good balance. Yeah, it, I think so. I hope so. Um, you know, I try to recognize in me, you know, where I, you know, when I'm being serious and how I got that from my mother and, and my father's sense of humor. But, you know, they did instill a work ethic, um, I think. So Lee, who did you kind of look up to when you were a child? Did you think maybe you wanted to be in academia or be a teacher or a counselor? Never. <laughs> Never. Um, I wanted to be, when I was a kid, a police officer. <laughs> Interesting. You could like take the kids and put them into your Echo Glen. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know if that was influenced by my father or influenced by TV that I watched. Yeah. So were you serious about becoming a, a police officer? No. You know, this is like when you're 10 or oh, 12 when you're like years four, old. Oh, 10 or 12. Yeah. yeah. And so what about high school? What types of things did you like? Uh, pursue in high school and kind of what fueled you back then? So I, in high school, I was into sports. So um, played soccer. Um, I even was, I think, one of the first girls in Bellevue to play Little League Baseball. Um, so I was just, it was all about sports when I was in high school. And I'm not somebody who is, and I'm this way now, where I planned out a career, or I had an ambition or something that yeah. I was going to achieve. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't yeah. common. I mean, I don't know if we're the same age. I think you might be a lot younger than me, but I just think that, you know, when I think back also, I mean, I went to UW like you, and I remember just being like, well, that's kind of where I want to go. <laughs> it wasn't this whole crazy application process that our kids are having to go through or think in like fifth or you know seventh grade, what is it that you might want to do when you're older? Like, I just want them to be kids, like we got to be. Yeah, it exactly. I think that was how I approached it. You know, it was like one step at a time. Okay, gonna get into college now. Well, yeah. University of Washington, it's right there. Gonna go do that. Um, mm -hmm. Plan a lot, you know. And back at that time, you didn't even have to take the SATs. You took a Washington State test to get into the University of Washington. Maybe I was suffering from a lack of creativity and ambition at that time. Did you like, did you out. like you, Dev? Was that a good choice for you? I think so. Um, uh, all of my memories associated with that are fond ones mm -hmm. um, and still keep in touch with sorority sisters. And um, yeah, I would say overall, it, it was a very good experience. And, yeah. You know, and I was far enough away from my parents, you know, to not be living with them, but not so far that a big risk. Yeah, you could always go home to do a little laundry. Exactly. <laughs> Interesting. And so, um, so from school, I know that you you started out. You've had all sorts of different industries. Like the reason why I always I'm curious to ask this is because I'm I'm hoping that maybe some student somewhere is listening to this podcast and getting some sort of inspiration or relief to hear like how people parlay into their career right out of college. How was it for you? So, and I should say, I started college as an art major. Okay. Um, and then quickly realized as I met other art majors that that was not going to be a career for me, um, a hobby. Um, and then I changed my major to psychology, you know, the most general thing you could possibly do. Um, and, uh, but as a part of the psychology I was studying, I had to learn a lot of statistics and how you do quantitative analysis. And so I think that's the thing that that I took away the most from school in terms of my career. How I started my career has been, was super opportunistic. A, uh, 
sorority sister of mine got a job at the Seattle Mariners and she got me a job at the Seattle Mariners. <laughs> so a lot of times those are the stories and it is the kind of the sliding doors part of life. It's like, well, what if I hadn't caught up with her that one day? Or what if they hadn't just had an opening that one day? Because I know that that was a big part of your kind of career identity. And people that work at the Mariners, I have a couple of friends, we can like play the name game after this, but that work there, you may have crossed over with them, um, but loved it, loved working for the Mariners. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a dream job. I mean, literally a dream job for a ton of people. Um, and I actually worked there twice. So um, you will find as we talk through this, I've worked a few places twice. I don't know why that is, but um, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. It's a very grown up job for young people. Um, mm -hmm. You know, baseball is a big business and, and, you know, it was a big spotlight on a lot of the things that you would do. And so, um, you know, it was no time to, to, uh, have a crisis of confidence. You just had to go get it done. And then, you know, going to baseball games was not the worst thing in the world. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. And that's, you know, through that job, I met the person that gave me my next job. And so yeah, I was going to say, it looks like it, I do see a, a weave of like people based on how, you know, who I know that has worked at different places. Um, have you kind of been pulled along through your career and pulled others along? Uh, I have definitely been pulled along and um, I have tried to return in kind. And so, you know, on my current team right now, I think there are five or six people that worked with me at previous jobs um, at, I think, three different companies. Um, and so uh, it's a formula that worked for me in my career. Yeah. And so, um, I've tried to pay it back. Well, it's much easier when you've worked with somebody to know what you're getting versus an interview. I mean, as, of course, as a recruiter, it's always hard. We try to vet and vet and vet, but we also depend on kind of back channel references and understanding, you know, where someone comes from actually versus just kind of guessing. So it does give you an advantage. Yeah. You know, and once you get in a groove with people, um, uh, you know, and you just know how they're going to work and there's a shorthand associated with it. Um, that's, you know, a fantastic thing to have. And then you balance that with bringing in new ideas and diversity. And, and I just found the combination of the two just has worked really well for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And so what are some of the themes that you've kind of pulled out in your career as far as, um, you know, learning about yourself and learning where you thrive most? Yeah, because, you know, there are some, uh, things that aren't on my resume where I made the bad decision. So, uh, you know, I've, I've learned that, um, you know, I, I tend to do well in places where there's not a swim lane that you have to stay in. Um, you know, I like to get in and, and really learn the details of a business or a job or a team. And then I figure out where I can plug in. And, and so I always want to grab additional responsibility and learn new things. And so I don't like to be too So I like flexibility. Um, you know, and so it was an interesting experience working for me at ReachNow, which, you know, most people know it as, but ReachNow is a division of BMW. And BMW is a very structured company with swim lanes and levels and, and um, you know, it's very... Uh, I don't want to say rigid, but, you know, they have a certain way of doing things. And that was a tough environment for me to work in. Yeah. 
Well, I'm sure it's just like a whole different culture. And tell me about your experience from Real Networks, because I know, I don't remember how long ago it was. I feel like it was a few years ago. They did that whole article on all of the CEOs who have been birthed out of the Real Networks um, network. And you've had a chance to work with so many of these incredible leaders. What did you learn from your experience there? It, you know, I got to tell you, people have had, heard different stories about real networks and, and, you know, different things about it, but boy, I wouldn't trade that experience for the world. Um, it was hard. I think it's still one of the hardest uh, jobs that I've had just in terms of what real was trying to do at the time of super, super early in technology. And there were the pioneers of audio on the internet. So trying to do what at the time were very hard and pioneering things. Um, and, you know, as a part of that, you know, you read these story, the old stories about people sleeping in their office and, you know, never going home. And, and we did that. <laughs> yeah, there were sleeping bags in the office and all of this stuff. Um, you know, so, and when you have an environment like that, you do tend to kind of pull together with people and develop relationships. And so I think that's one of the reasons why the real network crew from that era is still, we still get together and do reunions. Um, it's an incredibly, uh, I think, close group of people coming out of that experience. And just what I learned individually, I mean, I had probably 20 different jobs while I was there. I was there five and a half years. And boy, I got to do everything, PR to um, business development. I was negotiating deals with record labels. I had no business doing that at that age. Um, you know, and so uh, it was... I think one of the things I've taken away from that is, you know, to make a bet on people, um, you know, and so we always at White Pages try and create opportunities for people to take on new things. Mm -hmm. um, and just, boy, like I said, I was doing things that I had no business doing. Yeah, I love that. And I've, I feel like I've had those opportunities in my career also. And it's like, I don't, I try not to um, make any sort of judgment around someone based on their age or lack of experience or lack of exposure. It's almost on like their raw curiosity and their um, their work ethic and their work style and, and fearlessness. I think those are, and just attitude. Like, so I'm curious how you have, um, since that experience vetted new opportunities, like through which lens are you looking when you're uh, talking to new companies about a job? Like what's most important to you as you're looking for a job? Yeah, I think, I mean, you you said it, kind of the takeaway from Real Networks was fearlessness. Um, you know, it's, you know, whether it's a, a confidence that I shouldn't have, um, I tend to uh, look for things that, where I think I can have, I can add value, but is something new to me. There's a very clear element that's new to me. And so the places where I think I can add value is scaling businesses. Um, so that's a theme that runs through my career is scale and data driven. Um, and then, you know, the kind of other pieces around that, I just try and apply it to different companies, different industries. So whether it's um, video games, I worked in the video game industry for a while. I worked in politics, which has a lot of parallels <laughs> with business. Um, uh, you know, it's again about scale and I was in political fundraising. So there's scale associated with that is a lot of numbers associated in politics um, to going into tech. Um, yeah. So, and I tend to rightly or wrongly uh, default to saying yes to opportunities. And I think the majority of the time that's worked for me 
um, I said yes to a couple opportunities in my career that didn't make a lot of sense for me because I realized, gosh, this isn't the place where I can really add the value or they're trying to put me in a swim lane or, um, you know, and that's when I've kind of realized, oh gosh, not the right fit. So I Mm -hmm. think over- And if you had to, if you had to redo those decisions, um, kind of like what would you have otherwise asked or looked at? Because sometimes people make decisions based on um, like the product or the funding or, but they're not necessarily looking closely enough at who their direct boss will be or, um, you know, looking at the lack of diversity around them or just different things that are maybe not softer, but a little bit more nuanced. Um, What's your experience been on kind of how you have vetted opportunities that haven't worked? So I think it's, um, you know, I think I probably over romanticized or glossed over the signals that maybe it wasn't exactly the right fit, um, you know, to where I just sort of convinced myself, oh, but the, the industry is so interesting that, you know, you'll be able to navigate, just get in the door and be able to navigate it. Um, So I think the times that I did that early in my career, I just sort of kind of fuzzed it out. Um, And Mm -hmm. as I've gotten older, I think I've gotten better at at recognizing when to do that. And how have you been as far as taking on others to kind of um, develop and mentor? And if you've done that, like, what are the attributes that you're most drawn to? Um, when either mentoring, developing, hiring others? Yeah, I think um, a a bit of fearlessness, you know, uh, is part of it, you know, a confidence, um, not so much that that people get out over their ski tips, but they're willing to take on things that make them slightly uncomfortable, and Mm -hmm. then have enough confidence to be able to ask questions or ask for help. Um, I think it's, it's that balance. Um, between, you know, I know I can do it. I think I can figure it out. I'm going to bet on myself, um, but not be so overconfident that you just don't, you know, not, won't ask for help, um, won't ask people for advice, things like that. Um, So I tend to look for people that'll grab responsibility, um, you know, but, but aren't so uh, arrogant isn't the right word, but to, to ask questions and to, to ask for help. Yeah, so like a certain humility and a certain self-awareness that they can actually take feedback and and move through it without getting defensive and weird. Exactly. I think humility, I think you said it exactly right. Um, And the recognition that, you know, you can uh, learn a lot from a lot of different people. Um, So, you know. Um, There's always something to learn. There's always someone smart, smarter at something in the room, for sure. And so, yeah, so as a career marketer, um, you land at White Pages when? Like a couple of years ago, right? I think it's been over three years now. Over three years ago. And then 2019, um, tell me about the process that it, you went through to be considered or did you apply? Like, how did you become CEO? Yeah. So um, I'm glad you asked this. So then I can uh, talk a little bit about White Pages and sort of, you know, yeah. what's going on there. Um, so I joined... Uh, the company to run the consumer division. So products for uh, people and small businesses. And then there was an enterprise division. Um, and White Pages, and, and this is really how I think about it, um, has a record of figuring out how to use lots of data to solve lots of problems. 
Um, and in 2016, uh, uh, before I joined, a product was formed uh, to help people block spam calls. And that became a big enough business and it got spun out into what's now Haya. Then in 2019, the enterprise side of white pages, um, which provides fraud prevention um, capabilities for e-commerce companies got big enough that it got spun out and that now is Akata. And so when that spin out happened, it was kind of like, okay, who's going where? Um, how do we continue to keep the White Pages company going? And so at that time, the CEO of White Pages, Rob Elleveld, went to Akata. I stayed at White Pages. Um, and so part of our thing that we're doing now is what's next? What's going to be the next Haya, the next Akata? And so that's um, um, an exciting thing. <laughs> it's really exciting. So how, how would you describe um, exactly what White Pages is? You said consumer and small business, and then Akata does like the enterprise, correct? Yeah. So the way, the way we think about it is we're essentially a large, I, I call it e-commerce company. So we get 30 to 35 million users that come to our site every month. Um, and what it is, is we use a base level of data. So things like addresses, name, some phone numbers to help people and small businesses solve a huge variety of kind of uh, smaller workflow problems. So things like um, confirming a delivery address. Uh, if you run a small e-commerce company or an online company um, and you need a way to check that an order you got isn't fraudulent, but is an actual order, we do that. Um, if you are uh, wanting to understand about a neighborhood and neighbors around you before you go move into it, we help you do that. Um, so there's a lot of, of little, I don't want to say little, but um, thousands of diverse ways that people utilize our data. Um, around holiday time, and particularly this year, since people couldn't travel, um, confirming addresses before you ship a package out is a big use case. And, um, you know, unfortunately this year, a big use case for White Pages was hospitals and public health organizations utilizing our data for contact tracing. Mm, interesting. So it's it's uh, um, a lot of kind of uh, workflow or just day-to-day -day needs that people have for information. So like I said, mm -hmm. locking- And how, how do people, um, well, obviously it's such a big name, but how do people know about the business and what's the business model for White Pages? Um, so yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, we do uh, kind of brand studies every now and then, and even folks who are too young to remember the actual white pages, the book itself, um, understand and recognize the white pages name as being trusted information. So that's great. Yes. It's a great name. And I remember I met with white pages years ago when I first moved back from New York and I was, I, you know, it's like a friend and I just walked through the place and was like, oh, white page, I get it. But it was like not white pages as I would have thought of it. But yes, a totally solid name. Yeah, it, it, so even if you weren't around for that, people understand what it is. And, and you know, it's kind of a, a shocking sort of brand awareness um, associated with it. Um, and uh, so, you know, people get to us the same way people get to a lot of uh, online companies. You do a search on Google. Um, we get a lot of people that come to us directly just because of brand name. 
Um, and the model for us is um, we have subscriptions that enable people to access different sets of data. Um, uh, we do tenant checks. So if you're a landlord and you know, are doing a background check on tenants, we have products that serve that. Um, so there's a few different ways that people can, can access the data depending upon what their need is. Got it. Interesting. And so I know that, um, and I've always heard this about white pages, but I know now more than ever, you know, you're an extremely diverse um, group at your company. You've got, I think I read 45% females. Yeah, right. That's right. In six different countries. Yeah. Um, and so how do you go about um, sustaining that, celebrating that, um, continuing to embrace Diversity. I know I, a lot of companies have always said that it's important, but now more than ever, um, it truly is. And people are implementing new um, new ways of doing business to ensure that they can kind of emulate what you've done. Yeah, we're uh, very, very fortunate um, for, you know, as small as our company is, I've never worked at a company this diverse. Um, and, you know, we even our youngest employee is 21. I believe our oldest employee is 62. Um, it's, you name it, we've got it <laughs> at our company. And um, uh, one of the, the things, and this is pre-COVID, and we've tried to duplicate it in COVID, but it's hard, is um, I've never worked with a group of people so interested in food. Um, these guys like have debates, you know, talk about food, post, post pictures of food, you know, and if, you know, if there's anything that brings people together and over different cultures and brings people together just in general, it's food. For um, sure. So I think that's also a very uh, fortunate thing for us. Um, and so we do a lot of celebrations that are centered around food. Interesting. And I also read that your pride party is a super important and fun company event. Like, I don't know how many companies are, are having pride party. Like that's amazing. Yeah. It's um, back when I very first was talking to Rob Elleveld about potentially coming to white pages. The first day that I actually went on site was the day of their pride happy hour. And so I was walking through the you know, lunchroom area um, and they were doing this huge bingo, um, gay bingo celebration, and the entire company was there, and it was raucous, and um, just tons of fun. So that was like my first, you know, experience with the diversity there, and we've tried to carry that through um, as well. And so, uh, yeah. yeah, even even in COVID, we tried to have a, a, a bit of a raucous pride party. Um, That's awesome. And so tell me about how you've been able to recruit diverse candidates. Like what's your, I'm, I'm looking for like tactical unless that's proprietary, <laughs> I'm kidding. but everybody wants to attract. And I, I say as a recruiter, like you have to a little bit have some diversity in order to attract diversity. But what if a company doesn't have much diversity and they're trying to change things up and, and attract more diverse candidates? You know, that's, we're still figuring that out too. Uh, I got to tell you, we do not have that nailed. Um, you know, we've, you know, the first thing that we've tried to do is we put our diversity front and center. Um, you know, whether it's published on our website, we make sure we have diversity of candidates on the interview loop. Um, we work uh, with Rainer Scholars here in Seattle um, because we feel like, gosh, if you want to hire diverse candidates, you should contribute to creating a, a more diverse 
um, talent pool. Um, and so, and that's been a long-standing uh, organization that White Pages has supported. You know, in terms of of how you, uh, uh, you know, companies that don't have this built in, and and we've invested in this as well, is to just acknowledge, <laughs> you know, the kind of unconscious bias that exists in all of us, and so that when a candidate, you know. Uh, comes to your attention, the first thing you do is go look at their LinkedIn profile. And the first thing you do too is look at their picture. They have a picture in their LinkedIn profile. You know, it's human nature amongst all of us to, you know, formulate an opinion associated with that. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we've done during COVID is uh, when we're interviewing candidates, we're doing it over the phone. We're not doing it over Zoom right now um, to just try and, and, uh, get that, take that unconscious bias that we all have in that, you know, now all of us and many companies are trying to improve on. That's so amazing. We've done kind of tactical things like that. Um, and proactively, you know, looked for different places to recruit candidates that um, we wouldn't have before. Um, mm -hmm. So those are just, you know, two tactics, but I got to tell you, we're still working on it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's for everyone aspirational to constantly improve and to keep it front of mind. And I love Rainier Scholars. Tell me, like, how did you even get involved with Rainier Scholars? So White Pages has a long history uh, of supporting and uh, Rainier Scholars, including um, Alex and Susie Algard, uh, the founder of White Pages and his wife have supported it for a long time. And so I it was new to me when I joined White Pages, but it's a fantastic organization that creates um, education opportunities for uh, kids in underserved areas. And um, what it does is it follows them. There's, you actually have to apply to the program, but once you're accepted to the program, uh, it's a 12 year program that carries you all the way from elementary school, junior high up into college years. Um, and so it's very, very in depth, um, but they've done an absolute fantastic job of preparing and creating opportunities for these kids to enter, you know, high-level college institutions, and then um, get amazing careers. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Just talented, talented people. Um, you know, so it's it's you know, it, it, they just help people realize their inner talent and create opportunities yeah. that enable them to do that. And so it's really a fantastic organization. Well, I'm glad that you got to get involved. Um, I've had friends get involved and got, get me involved, and I've always been very impressed. So thank you for all the work that you guys are doing, and Susie and Alex, it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's easy. Once you just get a taste of what they're doing there, um, it's a no-brainer to get involved. It is great to see um, how much you've already done, and you should be proud of that. Um, how does it feel for you, I guess, being a female CEO, I don't even like saying female CEO, but there are very few, you know, especially of this size company. Um, I guess, what are your thoughts about it as far as um, what you expected it to be, what it is? You know, it's funny. I, I honestly don't think about it a lot. And, um, and I, I've been asked this, you know, pretty frequently. Um, but you know, I look back at my career and I've worked in such male dominated fields from sports, video games, even politics, 
um, and particularly at the time that I was involved in it, um, and now getting into technology. And I just, it never crossed my mind during that time that like, oh, female, I'm female and a male dominated. I just went and tried to do my job and, and maybe I should have been more attuned yeah. to it. Um, but I honestly don't think about it a lot other than I do feel like I have a responsibility to be more public than my nature would. That does make sense to me because I mean, that's a hundred percent. I would have wanted you on as the CEO if you're a man or a woman, but I'm really psyched to have you on as a woman because I'm like, I don't want a bunch of male guests only. And I'm like you, like, I don't really think about the woman part, but I've not worked in huge companies. Um, I more see how other people respond. Like when other people are like, wow, you're a mom and a CEO, like they make it a bigger thing than how probably you think about it or how I might think about it. It's like, well, I'm just doing my job and I was qualified and I have good relationships and here I am. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, and so I just, you know, have to go against my introverted nature and yeah. um, do things like this. Although talking to you is, is, you know, absolutely a pleasure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll try you out on my extroversion. will pull out the introvert in you. Exactly. Um, so tell me what makes white pages or like, how have you gone about trying to attract engineers? It's like this war on talent is crazier than ever. Um, but I know that White Pages also has a great reputation for being a great work environment for engineers. How do you sell that opportunity? So, you know, first of all, it, it, you know, a lot of companies will say this, but, you know, it's an opportunity to have a really, really big impact, personally. Um, you know, the uh, amount of, of just customers that we have and data that we have um, for such a relatively small company um, it enables engineers to really have a lot of influence and um, to, to do things that will have a significant impact on the company. You know, not just a division of the company or, or part of the company, the entire company. Um, the fact that we're uh, in data, you know, um, is, you know, <laughs> it's the thing now. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so the ability to then you know, work with and understand and get signals out of, out of large data sets is very, very appealing. The fact that we do things like Haya and Akata, you know, we're always looking for the what's next opportunity, which means we basically have a little bit of R&D um, within the company. Um, mm -hmm. It's like a startup lab within an established exactly, company. You know, so it provides the opportunity to do something innovative and potentially even contribute, start, form, you know, what's going to be the next spin out. Um, yeah. And, and we believe in, in building people's careers. And, you know, uh, whether that's your career at White Pages, or if it makes sense, you know, um, you know, for you to find an opportunity at another company, if we have helped you at least build your career and create that opportunity for you, we're pretty psyched about that, too. That's super cool. Well, you must be proud. I'm, I am curious what you're kind of most proud of in your um kind of short period as the CEO? Is there something that you're like, this is something that was a challenge and I've overcome it, or even just leading through a pandemic, like whoever thought that, that would be on the plate, right? Yeah, I think, you know, the pandemic just is, has such an outsized impact on the past year that, you know, I do think that um, what the company and the team accomplished in the last year um, during the pandemic is amazing. 
you know, what the team accomplished in terms of product innovation and business performance and um, just overall hanging together as a team during that time period is, is just phenomenal. Um, you know, at the same time where we did feel a responsibility to help organizations that were trying to do contact tracing and to serve those needs. Um, yeah, I, I would say making it through the past year with the team intact and motivated and, um, you know, generally feeling, you know, pretty optimistic um, and delivering the performance that we did. Um, yeah, tough year. That's Happy incredible. to be on the other side of it, but proud of yeah, almost. We're almost. almost. Yeah, we're get, we're getting close. So how how do you you know given this time, how do you take care of yourself and kind of make sure that you're adding in a little lead time slash kind of self care? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie, and I've been upfront with people on my team about this. You know, I'm struggling a little bit, uh, not being in the office, not having that um, personal interaction. Um, you know, I'm not a telephone, you know, talk over zoom type person i'm a go have coffee go have a glass of wine person and so i really miss that interactions with people at the company and in the community so that's been tough um so i'm trying to kind of do things to navigate through that um i have now become absolutely addicted to apple fitness so that's i think been my saving grace um in particular in, in recent months you know it got cold and wet and rainy outside. Um, I just take my phone and do Apple Fitness with my watch. And I think that's been a thing that's really helped me keep sane. Yeah, that's great. And so are there rituals or things that you do on like Sunday night or Monday morning or every morning to kind of set yourself up for a productive day or week? You know, I'm trying to get better at that. And frankly, to have a little bit more of a ritual associated with it, you know, those articles, you know, the three things that successful it's people- It's so annoying. I have to say, I keep asking this question because I'm hoping someone will give me some sort of like aha moment, but I find it so annoying. I'm like, and, and I'm doing some of these things finally after like years, the pandemic has offered that time. I'm like meditating, but the people are like every morning I journal and I have my gratitude and I have my tea and- meditate then I do an hour of cardio I'm like <laughs> yeah and so, uh, so I, have, I haven't gotten that nailed so and thank you for it's hard it's so hard um, yeah I do try and and take time on Sunday nights um to just you know sit and think about what has to get accomplished during the week what's Monday going to be like and then I have started doing uh, one-on-one -on -one meetings, um, not face-to-face -face over Zoom, but um, just audio while walking. Mm. And so I think that's helped me because also, you know, you think differently when you're just have audio as opposed to video and you're, you're yeah. looking at people. Yeah. And it, I, I have found that it gives me clarity of thought. And I like that. Is the other person walking also, or you don't care? It's up to them what they want to do. Yeah. Um, and I just, I think the meeting's better for me. I think more clearly, um, less time is wasted. So that's, there's my. Yeah. And so when this whole thing's over, which we kind of feel like we're on the edge of, what are you most looking forward to? What's, what's your, like, I mean, I've had people be like, I just want to sit in a bar and have a cocktail or I, you know, want to go to a movie. I want to travel. Like, what are you going to do? Uh, I'm traveling. Where are you going to go? Oh my gosh. Uh, so many places. Um, That's how I feel. I'm like, get me out of here and get me traveling. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I, France, Portugal, um, 
And then um, I want to go, you know, like the the symbol of all of this is Wimbledon. I would want to oh, go sit at Wimbledon and, you know, have some tea and some champagne and strawberries and cream. That's I'll go with you. Right. Wimbledon. I'm in. Okay. So my ultimate question is what fuels you? I'm kind of fueled by the art that's behind you. Did you make that or did you buy it? Like who did that? Oh my it's gosh. really cool. I'm so glad you asked. Um, this is done by an orangutan at the Woodland Park Zoo. Oh, literally. Literally. Oh, I thought you were kidding. No. Cause I know that you've been involved and that's why I asked you about your spirit animal too. Cause of the Woodland Park Zoo. <laughs> literally. literally. I, that's so cool. Yes. You know what I have is one of those big tigers that were at the Woodland Park Zoo um, fundraiser a few years ago. I don't know if you remember this. They were yes. people are bidding on them. Yes. So I got one of them. It's like, right. Out, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> it's a little weird that we got it, but I like that. It's very cool. People can't see it. So they're going to make this part of the podcast annoying, but, um, but I like it. Maybe in the video part, we'll show it a little. Yeah. Maybe I can post it online. I, we have a lot yeah, of animal it. art here from the zoo. So. Oh, that's really neat. Okay. So what fuels you? Is it animals? <laughs> Gosh, it, it's, I, I should have a bigger, higher, larger thing. No, there's no should. We're supposed to let go of the should, um, they say. Thank you for that. So, you know, when you ask that question, I'm kind of in, in the work mode. Um, mm. I am numbers driven. So I, you know, metrics, I need to understand, I need to measure um, so I'm numbers and goal driven from a business standpoint and probably in general. Yeah. Love it. Well, that's probably why you love your Apple fitness. Cause it gives you all these measurements. It gives all it's all making feedback. sense now. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast. So good to see you. When this whole thing ends, we will do an in-person coffee or wine or anything, or maybe we'll just go to Wimbledon. Uh, deal. Thank you for listening to the what fuels you podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. Thank you.